former prisoner and inmate. New York City. novelist i write novels about a mafia family and they own our thing apparel bam what i'm gonna do is do this series i'm gonna tell a lot of stories i'm gonna kind of flash back in time you know like i'm saying i am a novelist and the ceo of our thing apparel but uh, I, I did 13 years in prison prior to that for extortion and bank robbery and armed robbery and a litany of undesirable things so yeah, I'll turn it around and I'm trying to live my dreams and live a good life as a good person, as a kind person, uh, the guy who does the right thing, kind of inspirational to some people. And I originally never thought I'd be a role model or an inspiration to anybody, but then all these people started telling me I was and I'm looking at it objectively and, and I start to think, I guess I could be seen as an inspiration. I mean, I, I didn't go back to that old life. I didn't go back to crime and drugs and, you know, the maniac that I was. So I turned it around and, and uh, not too long ago I got flown into Detroit uh, to stand in front of a panel of millionaires from entrepreneurs organization this uh, group of 160,000 millionaires from around the world 16,000 chapters whatever it is and um, basically they wanted me to share my story and tell them how I used long-term planning while I was in prison to prepare for my future and that was pretty cool they paid me a nice chunk of money and I just sit there and told my story so now you know I think there is a market for my story and I'm inspire a lot of other people but I think what's going to make my story a lot more interesting to you is when I rewind it back to the beginning and start sharing these stories that kind of led up to prison and I'll share stories about prison and I'll share stories about after prison like my life since I got released from prison and my career as a writer and how Art and Apparel came about things like that so it was going to be an evolution in this series and I'll try to keep it around 25-30 minutes I don't want anyone to get bored but uh, I'll try to keep you entertained like right now I'm just kind of rambling but I need to have the backstory before you can you know the, the pieces of the puzzle fit together for the rest so I'll kind of give you a more thorough background so I'm half Sicilian on my mother's side my mother's name is Grace Carmela Tobo now, anyone from the Detroit area or Metro Detroit knows anything about the mob or whatever, kind of was familiar with that Toko name. I grew up in a really weird environment. So my parents divorced when I was four, and we moved in with my grandma and grandpa Toko in Gross Point, in this rich enclave of wealthy people. And uh, in that little neighborhood was the mafia families. You know, there's five, six, seven major families, and they all kind of lived in the same radius within like a mile or two. Everybody, all the kids, uncles, aunts, cousins, sons, nephews, all in one area. And that's where I grew up. I spent about 10 years there as a kid, getting familiar with my cousins and uncles and aunts and things like that, just hanging around, doing little mischievous things. I was a bad kid to begin with. I was always getting in trouble. I think that's what prepped these older mob guys for me to come along in my late teens because I got suspended from kindergarten like three days in for cracking a dude with a building block. 
like they used to have like these big two by four building blocks and you build things, you know, in the class. I just start a couple of days in the class and there's this bully, like a big dumb kid. I don't want to say dumb, it's kind of mean, but he was like, maybe he had been held back a grade or two because he was bigger than everybody else. He was a bully. And I just start school and I'm watching him and he's bullying this kid out of his building block. So, I mean, I walked over there, grabbed the building block and I freaking cracked him across the head a couple times. Whacked him good, you know, bam, started beating him up. And so I got suspended. And then after that, I got suspended more and I was always getting in fights and getting suspended, getting in trouble. And so, you know, my uncles and older cousins, they all were kind of paying attention to me, like probably thinking someday this guy's, <laughs> he's going to be one of us. And that's what happened. Eventually, I ended up moving with my mother and sister into an area that, you know, was a little low-income house, and it was we struggled really bad. My mother was mentally ill. Since my mother married a man outside of the family, non-Sicilian, non-Italian, and that's kind of how the Troy mob works. They all try to marry their sons and daughters off to relatives of the family, the Brigada, which is a community. And so she didn't do that. She married some dude my dad and then when that went to hell at age four my age four she had a nervous breakdown and she refused to ask for help from my grandparents didn't even tell them how we were living in squalor we didn't have any money you know they thought she was working but she wasn't you know so the next 12 years were, were rough to say the least and eventually i moved with my dad because my mother had a nervous breakdown went to the hospital and this is around the time that i started to notice things in my family weren't normal maybe when i was like seven eight nine years old and i was playing in front of my grandparents house and uh there was a guy out front with a camera taking pictures of my house. i was out there playing with my tonka toys that's like a metal truck that all kids loved at my age so anyway i saw the guy taking pictures and i ran out to my grandpa's in the backyard it's just like the the godfather my grandpa loved his tomato garden and so he was always working on tomatoes he was back there i said grandpa grandpa papa nana i said somebody's outside taking pictures of me and my grandpa's like, what? So he comes out and he sees it's the FBI, you know, parked across the street. So he grabs a brick from the garden and he runs up. He starts screaming at him. He's like, not my own home. Not my effing home. Wham! And smashes this brick off the windshield of this fed car. And they peel off and whatever. And of course, you know, even as a little kid, that struck me as odd. And the thing is, that scene found its way into my novel. And I remember my wife read the books and eventually when she read it, she admitted, she's like, when I read that, I figured that was really you. And, and it was. And then, you know, not long after that, somebody died in the family. We were at the funeral being Yasko's. It's a famous mobbed up funeral home outside of Detroit. And my uncles were all whispering, you know, the feds are outside taking pictures of license plates and, and things like that. You know, and I asked, you know, why? Because I was a kid, I didn't know any better. I eventually learned, but uh, they were just like, you know, they want to see who's coming and going. So eventually when I was... You know, the, like the first time I recall had doing something illicit was, I can't, I must have been 10 years old. And, and I write about this in one of my Limbo Chronicles, and I'll get to those later down the road. I'll, I'll literally recap those entire series, 21 short stories. But I remember uh, my mother said I could spend $100 on a bike. I wanted this bike. The bike I wanted was like 300 bucks. And so I asked my uncle, who was 12 years older than me, kind of like an older brother figure to me, who I didn't know was like a young wise guy. I didn't know he was a hustler. I didn't know where he made money or how he made money. He just was like a good looking, got a buff, you know, charming guy. All the girls liked, everybody liked him. He had a new Cadillac, you know, so I looked up to him. He's only 12 years older than me, so he was kind of more of an older brother. And he was real funny too. And I said, Uncle Pete, you know, I want this bike. We buy him this bike. And he's like, oh, he laughed at me. He said, I need no freaking bike. Are you kidding me? 
the F out of here. He's like, tell you what, go get your cousin Frankie, who was a bad kid. Me and him got, like, we're in trouble for always dumping the garbage cans in the alleys in the neighborhood. We drive down the alleys and then stick our foot in the garbage can and pull them over and look back for like a mile and there's this garbage. And then we get chased sometimes. But Frankie was a bad kid, so he's actually doing a life for murder. So he says, go get Frankie. Get Frankie. He says, Frankie says, listen, they call me Alonzo at the time. My name's Alan Alonzo. He said, Alonzo wants his bike. You know, go up to freaking Gross Point South and steal it. And gonna give you 50 bucks. So, you know, he shopped around. And ended up not finding the exact bike that he wanted. It actually was a Haro Master I wanted, which was like 300 bucks. But he ended up coming back with a Haro Sport, which was, eh, you know, almost there. So I gave him 50 bucks. had his badass bike and got to keep 50 bucks. So that was my uncle saying, you know, this is how you do it. This is how you cut the corner. This is how you beat the system. And I was like 10, 11 years old. Not long after that, I was on my way to my grandparents' house for uh, dinner because we went there every Sunday for dinner. The family always got together for dinner. I saw this mini bike on the side of the road. I'd see it. I'm like, oh man, I want that mini bike. So I asked my dad. He's no way. You know, I asked my mom. She don't have the money. You know, so I asked my uncle Pete, give me this mini. You know, it's a hundred dollars, man. Can you give me this mini bike? He laughed too. He said, listen, man, here's what you do. And I wrote about this in the Chronicles too. He says. There, you know, there's these, you know, donation cans called Jerry's Kids. You know, we donate to Jerry's Kids, muscular dystrophy drives, you know, and you go to the 7-Eleven, which is a local, like, convenience store, and they give you the can, and these kids could go out and, like, you know, stand in front of stores or wherever and jingle it and say, would you like to donate to Jerry's Kids, you know, muscular, to help fight muscular dystrophy. He says, go get that can, collect the money, keep it, get the money, buy your makeup. So I get the can, I go stand out front of like the liquor store and jing, 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 I make like 12 bucks in like a couple hours. I'm like, this ain't cutting it. But in my mind, I was a smart little enterprising kid. Now, about five or six miles away was this Kmart and I knew it was a ton of traffic, people coming and going all day. So I'm like, if I could just get there, I could clean up. So keep in mind, I'm like 11 years old and I decided to drive my bike like seven miles probably which is a long ways as a little kid to drive on a pedal bike and down some main avenues and main this is you know like the suburb of detroit where it's very a lot of traffic and i just drive there get there stand out front would you like to donate to jerry's kids sir would you like to donate this is a terrible thing to do i'm not proud of it making fun of it i'm just telling you what I did because I was told it was okay to do. I was told by my uncle who I looked up to, this is how you act. I'm not justifying what I'm doing. I'm just giving you the evolution of how I ended up in that situation to begin with. So I go out there and stand there, jing, 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 I fill the can up, boom. But now what do I do? I've only been here an hour. So I go inside, I get a bag, I dump the money in the bag, I tie it to the, my bike, come back, boom. I fill it up like three times. And then I drive back with this big bag of money, jing, jing, jing. And I come back and I had like 140 bucks. So I tell my dad I got the money. I don't even know how I told him like, I got the money, but he actually took me and bought me the mini bike. I paid 90 bucks for it. My dad got it on 90 bucks and I love that thing. That was my toy, man. I built it up. This is the type of things I'm doing as a kid. And eventually I, I lived with my mom only for a couple of years in that particular home. And I, I made a couple of friends there, but I, I went to my dad's in St. Clair Shores, which is this, basically what I call home, I guess, where I grew up most of my time. It's in the kind of lower middle-class suburb of Detroit, right outside of Detroit. And uh, I think I moved there when I was maybe 13 or 14, eighth grade. And this is where, you know, you're gonna laugh, but it's not funny, but it is kind of funny. You're a new kid, I got a chip on my shoulder. Keep in mind, I, I got kicked out of the school I was with already at for beating up some bully because there was something wrong with me psychologically with all the dysfunction in my family and all the dysfunction in my life you know i just had this chip on my shoulder man we were poor as dirt 
poor and my mother refused to ask for help so and I had dirty clothes and you know a lot of times went hungry and just I, I felt very insecure about myself and so when anyone messed with me the thing was when somebody questioned my intelligence that was the biggest trigger for me and the reason for that is not you know, like blowing smoke but they did all these IQ tests and stuff on me and I had this really high IQ but I didn't know what that meant at the time I just know that I had they were like why isn't he doing well in school like why isn't he performing why isn't he doing his classwork why is he so distracted why is he always messing with the other kids why is he so they do these tests and they're like you know he's very smart he gets bored with the curriculum so they decided to put me in this class with these freaks and basically like I thought these freaks were like mentally handicapped because they were like the weird kids there was like 12 of us. Every other class had 30 kids, and then I'm in there with this group of like 12 weirdos. And we had our own curriculum, and it was just weird. I, I felt like I can't really be one of these freaking weirdos, you know? And no offense, anyway, they're all probably millionaires now. They're the geniuses of the school. But um, I had a chip on my shoulder, so when somebody said anything like, man, you're stupid, I mean, I, I just snap, I'm stupid, ah, they freaking go nuts, and I freaking beat their ass, and, and I, I got in, got in a lot of trouble, and I was just fighting all the time. Anyway, what happened was in my school, Lance Cruz, this kid, there was this big kid named Bruce, we called him Bruce the Moose, because he was a big, tall kid, but real harmless, nice kid, and uh, he was getting a drink in the drinking fountain, and there was this new kid named Bill Plunkett, he liked to act like he was a tough guy, and Bruce was getting a drink on the drinking fountain, like, and he walks by, and, and Plunkett slams the kid's head off the freaking thing. Could have knocked his teeth out, you know? And I just snap, and I, I, I had this thing where I'd like black out, like literally black out, and not really remember what I did till after. I wouldn't even remember. And then afterwards, I had to think about like what happened. And this kid, Bill Plunkett, who just bullied this big kid, Bruce the Moose, he had a, a, like a bunch of pencils, call them a gross, it was like ten pencils in a thing wrapped in a wrapped around. He had it in his hand, so. I walk over to him, and I don't know, the first thing I did is grab it out of his hand and snap him over my knee and went, boom, threw him in his face. And I was like, you know, whatever, this kid, I was already known for being a lunatic anyway, so I didn't think he was going to do nothing. So I turned around, went to walk, and he jumps on my back. He starts, I start wrestling, start, I flung him over my back and just started wailing out, bam, bam, bam. And uh, just so happened, my principal was standing like, you know, 20 feet away when it happened. Saw the whole thing. Now, keep in mind, I had already been suspended 10 times, and it was only 10 weeks in. I'm averaging once a week suspended. Got to the point where they weren't even suspending me, like sending me home. They'd just put me in this like closet room and give me homework and I'd stay there all day. Imagine how hard that was. Imagine how hard it was to just sit in this room, like a cell, like a prison cell, all by yourself, all day. You could just leave to go to lunch or use the bathroom, you know, and just have to do your homework. It was a freaking nightmare to me. Anyway, they finally expelled me for that. They're like, enough is enough. And now my mom was really in the hospital at the time, so it didn't even matter. Like, my grandparents didn't even know my mom was in the hospital, mental hospital. Me and my sister, she was like 15, 16 years old, and I was like 12, 13, 14, whatever it was, living on her own. It's crazy, trying to survive. So my dad took us in and went and lived with my dad in St. Clair Shores. And then first thing that I did within a couple of days, there was this bully. Me and bullies, I don't know what the deal is. His name is Craig Sacheki. Kind of a douchebag. I hope he watches this. He's a freaking loser. Big guy, real athletic, super, super athletic, really good superstar athlete. His dad was a cop, so his dad used to beat his ass and just make fun of him when he didn't do good in sports. He's one of those dads. So I watched him for a couple of days. In gym class, you know, you warm up, you got a jog laps, and he'd run around past everybody, smacking people in the head, bap, bap. And he, he did it to me. 
and I'm just like, I ain't playing this dude, man. I, I know how it's gonna go. I know how when you go to a new school, you can either be freaking a statistic or you can just make a name for yourself. So I knew how it was gonna go. So, you know, at lunchtime, after you eat, you go to the gym, you shoot basketball around and you know, hang out for a little while. And um, we're playing basketball and the ball bounces over to me. Boing! I see Jackie sitting there looking the other way. So I'm like, bam! I slam the ball off the back of his head. Boom! He turns around and he's like, who the hell did that? And I'm like, I did. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? You want to fight? Let's fight. Let's get it on. And I jump. I'm like, what's up? Let's, let's get it in. He's like, no, man. Uh, I, ain't, I ain't getting kicked off the basketball team for your ass. He's like, we'll do it after school. We'll do it after school. And uh, he's like, we'll do it tomorrow after school, whatever. So everybody hypes it up. And I get sick. I get the flu. I end up like super sick. Like a punk. I didn't even go to school the next day, man. I mean, but I was like deathbed sick. Nothing I could do. It was the middle of winter. And uh, this one kid walked down my street every day on the way to school. His name was Mickey Walls. He's a cool dude. He freaking bought my novel. He's a big fan of mine. I see him. I said, you tell Craig that I'll be tomorrow, you know, on the half day. I'll meet him up there at school. And we're going to do this. I'm sick, you know, whatever. So I already look like a bitch. You know what I'm saying? So that Friday, I drive my sister's bike. I don't even know where my bike was or what happened. But I remember driving my sister's bike. So anyway, I go up there. And nobody's there. So, like, school gets out. And... It's like 12.30, he has basketball practices there. So it's him, and the toughest kid in the school named Gino Bianchetti, who became one of my good friends, but you know, at the time, he was kind of a douchebag too. And then myself, that Mickey and his brother showed up. So it's just like the four of us. And I thought maybe I could, maybe not talk my way out of it, but intimidate him out of fighting. And I was pretty young. I wasn't, you know, I've been in a bunch of fights, but I wasn't a good fighter. I was just like a lunatic fighter, spaz. And I learned to be a good fighter. That took time. But anyway, so he jumps back and says, what's up? What you want to do, man? He started jumping around. I'm like, oh man, this ain't going to be easy. And me and this cat went at it. I'm not joking. Like, you know, people exaggerate, you know, but uh, at this particular time, no exaggeration. We fought for an honest probably eight or nine minutes. Think about how long eight or nine minutes of the fight. Where we just hate me and each other at one point by the shirt, and we were exchanging like hockey, and just going at it, man, throwing down. Yeah, I get exhausted. I end up falling on the ground at some point, and he gets atop of me, and he starts smashing my head off the concrete. And he's like, "You give, you give, bam, bam, bam." I got a really hard head. That's one thing I was known for. Like I had this crazy hard head when I lived with my grandparents in Girls Point. I used to ram my head in the cars, dead the cars, and like break wood fences with my head. So. He's not doing nothing to me. I'm not even phased one bit. He's bam, bam, bam. What I'm doing is resting. Capture <sighs> my breath. And as soon as he did it a couple times, you give it, get it. I laughed. I'm, <laughs> yeah, bro. And I threw him off. And I jumped up. And I threw this crazy haymaker punch, man. Just wild punch. Boom. Crack him right in the nose. Busted his nose. Splattered him. And he ends up splattered and like leaning over, bleeding really bad. And I went over to go start hitting him. He's like, all right, man, enough, enough. I'm like, are you dead? You give? He's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, we call it a draw. I said, no, we ain't calling it a draw. We're going to finish this. <laughs> He's like, all right, man, I get you broke my nose. So you know, he kind of half-assed, got cool with me after that. But now I'm somebody in school, a lunatic. Right away, everybody, you know, hears about this. And they're like, that freaking, this guy, they call me Al. Uh, this guy, Al, he's a bad mofo. And so this is where I started building up this reputation as a tough guy. And the irony is I spent that year basically dicking off, not doing homework, not doing anything. This is where it gets kind of funny. Sad, but funny. I failed. Failed eighth grade. And they held me back. And it was just like devastating to me, you know. How do you deal with that? I mean, in the summertime, I'm hanging out with all my friends. We're at the park. We're at parties and hanging out. And everybody else is getting ready to head up to high school. And I'm going back to eighth grade. I'm like a freaking loser, man. It just devastated my, my psyche and my, my self-esteem. 
just ruined me, man. It was just bad. So anyway, all my friends that go to high school and I stay in eighth grade and just become a monster. Of course, I'm older than all the other kids, a year older. I'm starting to hit puberty a little bit, so I'm kind of getting bigger, more muscle bound. I was already had pretty good genetics. And then uh, it was just basically me. I was like the toughest kid in the school. And like this kid, my friend Rick, who I'm not friends with anymore. He's a douchebag hater, but I mean, you'll probably see this lurk, this kind of guy he is. And I remember he came to the school and said, why is everybody what do you think? You're a tank. And I freaking leaned over and I said, because I am. You want to find out? And he's like, no. So we were like the toughest kid in the school. He was. He was scared of me. He was a punk. He terrified me his whole life. I don't even think I had to fight any times that year. Everybody was so scared of me. That's when uh, I got introduced to drugs. Because my dad, all right, my dad is an alcoholic. He didn't buy food for us. Like, I was starving all the time, hungry, you know, all the time. And uh, I'm a kid on puberty. My dad would not buy food. He was just stupid. He didn't realize how much food a kid needs. So I was always at my friend's house eating their food. And anyway, I started smoking pot and hanging out. And I was like, I got to make some money. So I had this old raggedy moped. And I drove this freaking old raggedy moped like two cities over to my boy's cousin's house. Who they were like, don't ever go to his house without me. Don't ever go to his house. They're like a big drug dealer. He sold bags of weed. But the cousin was cool. And I went over there and... This is I, I kind of a strange story. There was this little redheaded kid, man. I'll call him DC. Cause, you know, he could read this. He'd probably laugh. But the dude was like 16 years old. He had all this gold, like Slick Rick. Like just gold chains, rings, whatever. He had a bunch of cars and stuff. And the day that I went to Jimmy's cousin's house, Jimmy's cousin was Joe. And Joe had a brother named TD. I was hoping Joe would front me some weed so I could make some money, you know. I knew I'd get rid of it. So I'd get over there, drive all this freaking way. The moped was so jacked up that a wire could pull this throttle. I crashed it all the time. It was horrible. This is a piece of junk, but it worked. So I get over there and uh, I knock on a door. I was pretty nervous, scared. And I was like a 14 year old kid at a drug dealer's house. And the brother, TD, Terry, answers the door. He's like, hey, hey, what's up, Al? They called me Elf, which was weird. I don't know why. Alfonso, I think. I thought my name was Alfonso. I said, yo, is Joe here? And he's like, no, no, he's not here. He's like, no, what's up? Like, what do you need? I'm, I'm handling business for Joe. And I was like, well, this is one of them situations where I need to talk to Joe. And he's like, what? What do you need? I'm like, I was hoping you would front me something, man, so I can make a couple bucks, you know? I'm a 14-year-old kid, man. He don't know me that good. I did have a freaking troop jacket on that my mom bought. This badass freaking, like, $350 troop jacket that's, you know, is worth more than my moped like four times and a big gold chain my mom bought me my mom spoiled me when she could you know welfare check one of them things and that's how you know they overpaid welfare because my mom was on welfare and gave me gold chains and 300 dollars coats so he said no nah, oh you got to talk to joe about that i can't do nothing to cash you know and i see this little redheaded dude man and i know that he's the one behind joe you know so I know the redhead kid, he's the one behind the, the dope. Cause he's got the freaking low rider, he's got the, the trucks, he's got the money, he's got, you know. So I say, hey man, can I talk to you bro? Can I talk to you for a second? And he looks at me and like, me, like what's up? I'm like, man, come outside. So I say, hey DC man, can I talk to you? He comes outside, he's only a couple years older than me. This dude's balling. And I say, hey man, I know you're the man behind the man. I know you're Joe's club. I said, I need to make some money, man. Anyway, I get put on, blah, blah, blah. He's like, nah, man, I ain't the man. I said, man, come on, man. I'm not stupid, man. I mean, it is what it is. You don't want to do it. You don't want to do it, but I'm no dummy. He kind of chuckles. He says, what are, you, what are you trying to get? I said, anything I can get, man. I need to make some money, you know? Bro. And he says, follow me. So I jump on my moped and follow him. And that day he was driving a low rider truck, white one, badass one with huge rims on it and stuff. And I'll never forget the song he was playing when he backed out of the driveway. Ice T's Colors. Colors. Cause the bump and he was kicker in the back of the thing. It's not like a concert moving through the subdivision. 
So I follow him, only like three blocks, and he pulls into a driveway, and, and then I jump out and said, come inside. So we go inside, he pulls out a freaking pound of weed, which is the most weed I've ever seen in my life. You know what I'm saying? The most weed I've ever seen is maybe a half ounce, if that. And uh, he pulls his pound of weed out, and he takes a triple beam scale, measure up a quarter pound. He says, listen, I'm gonna give you this for, I think he gave it to me for like 700 bucks, which was a lot back then. He's like, but I'm gonna friend you this 700 bucks. You sell it all in ace and quarters at this. He's like, you can make two, 300 bucks on it. You know what I'm saying? At least, take no shorts, you know, weigh them fat. He's like, go to the plum pit, which is this little like head shop on Gratiot. He's like, you got any money? I'm like, no. He's like, here's 10 bucks. He gave me 10 bucks to go up to the plum pit and buy a scale. So I got a little hand scale. Went home, got some baggies, bagged it all up. Then I knew where all the crack dealers were. And they were in the Oxford Squares, Cordobas, Chesterfield, these apartment complexes, and uh, over off of Roseville, uh, between Gratiot and 994. And I got, got my cousin to come with me, Frankie, same cousin, who was a nutcase, you know, carried his gun out like he was John Wayne. That's what they called him. That's the black dudes called him, John Wayne. So, what's up with John Wayne, man? He got his pistol just out in the open, in the suburbs, and not real suburbs, but they're like ghetto area suburbs. But anyway, the black dudes couldn't get good weed back then for whatever reasons, and they all knew that. Like, the white boys got the good weed. So, when I come down there, these crack dealers, they flood out there, and they're like, How many you got? How many you got? I'm like, Six. Let me get them all. Let me get them all. 30 bucks an ace, six, bam, 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 just like that, boom, boom, boom. You know, they never robbed me or tried to get me or nothing like that. I never had a close call with them because they knew my boy was sitting there with a freaking big can. He stole his dad's 44 Magnum and wear it out. He like literally would pull it out and sit there while I'm doing business. And so I hustled and I ended up driving around the neighborhood that first day and sold the entire quarter pound. And the, the dude, DC, he gave me a business card and on the back of it, he wrote his number, his pager number, and he wrote a code on there, which I'll never forget, is 112-112. He said, page me 112 when you clean out and when you're ready to get some more. So I'll page him the next day, I go to my boy's house. Like I had one bag left, my boy wanted to buy it. And I'm like, nah, man, you're my boy, Mario. His name's Mario, I liked him. I'm like, no, I'll just smoke it with you. you know? He's like, no, man, this is business, man. You, let me pay you. I'm like, you know, you can't mess it up. They knew who this dude was, everybody knew who he was. He was kind of like to us, was like this legendary high roller. And so I paged him from my boy Mario's phone that smoked the joint, got all high and stoned, and then forgot that I paged him. And then a few minutes later, his sister comes in, she's like, the phone's for you, because we had the phone ring. She's like, it's for you. Me, who the hell's calling your house for me? He's like, I don't know, but he called and asked for you. Well, I forgot I'd left my code, 112 in there. So he's like, what's up? And I can barely hear you, man, it's loud. Where you at? He's like, I'm out on my boat. And this is before cell phones. So cell phones like were the big brick ones, he or maybe in the bag even, the ones that were in a bag, he had one, and he was out on a boat, he's like, I'm gonna boat some girls, man, I'll call you later. I'm like, okay. So the next day I call him and tell him to come over to his house. And I said, listen, you know, you know, here's your money. I'm ready for some more. And he looked at me, he goes, Come on, man, I'm gonna take you up to see my friend in uh, Marshall's Mall. Uh, what was that guy's name, man? Dominic, I think. So this guy owned telecom communications, this pager, beeper, cell phone company, whatever. And I went in there and he, he brings me in there and he says, my boy needs a beeper, hook him up with a beeper. So a guy gives me a beeper, Donnie says, listen, I paid for it a year, you're good, you're good to go. And at that point, Donnie gives me a pound of weed, I got a beeper, he's like, listen, told me the gang, take no shorts, don't deal with anybody you don't know. If somebody brings somebody you don't know to you, lose their number, forget them, you don't know. If you have any question about whether or not they're a cop or not, don't deal with them, blah, blah, blah. So that was my introduction to the life of selling weed, and then it kind of just progressed. But at that point, my life changed because suddenly I had money. Suddenly, within weeks, I bought a new car, but I bought a new Ninja, you know, I bought a four-wheeler, 
you know, I bought all new clothes. I started buying clothes and crap for my boys. Every time we'd go out, I'd pay for everything. You know, all of a sudden, that was the life of the party because I had all, you know, I had the money. And, but started getting a lot of traffic at my house. And eventually, I had to start fronting drugs out to uh, my minions. And that kind of was an expansion of my business. And then I'll get into more of that, you know, in the next one. For now, it's kind of to give you a maybe a bullet point of how I ended up living a life of crime or a double life. These are the stories of the progressions that led to it and eventually my downfall and uh, me going to prison for 13 years. And they don't sound very crazy. They're almost benign, but they get crazier. And the thing is, they start off benign, just little things like this. And before you know it, I'm, I'm involved with people that are you know, really bad people, almost legendary type of people, mafia guys. And that's coming, you know, about this time is, is when, you know, I'm selling these drugs, things like that. This is about the time that I start getting introduced to these uh, mafiosos. And in fact, in the next story, I'll talk about how my, my Uncle Pete found some weed on me and then realized I was selling weed. So he started saying, you know, sell my weed. And then that led to me doing more work for my uncle and more work for other uncles. And then before you know it, I was like almost after high school left everything that I knew that was normal and then kind of phased into this other world. So I had to leave the normal life and friends and things like that and then become part of this other world. But it was weird because I kind of bounced in and out of it. And that's why I said to somebody, I was kind of a Henry Hill character. Like I could living a normal life at one point every day and the next minute I could be in this secret world it was pretty bizarre and, and uh, I'm gonna share more of that in the next installment so anyway hope you like this so at the end of the day what you need to do is um, subscribe to my channel and they're gonna get a lot more intense so I'm just kind of preparing you for that so when you when I share these crazy stories you just don't go what the f this guy's a freaking lunatic or whatever and kind of you need to see the progression of how I got to this point of lunatic so anyway subscribe tell a friend share whatever I'll be more of those I am uh, the owner of our thing apparel by the way I might as well plug it our thing apparel.com we customize all of our gear coats hats track suits jackets everything uh, we do everything every city if we don't do your city we can make a city we just do a new screen and make a city and I am also the author of to be a king volumes one and two Go to Amazon, check the reviews. I have perfect five-star reviews on both volumes. And uh, you can go to my website, is gunnerdetroit.com. And uh, you see all the things that I do. Uh, there's other interviews and there's information. And, and the Lindblom Chronicles, which I'll talk about. And, and Or you can just Google me, just say if you want to learn more about me. So, but hopefully check out my books. They're dope. Everybody loves them. They're saying they're the next godfather. And check out Art Thing Apparel, too, because we got some dope gear. So, in the meantime, we out. Boom.